0: Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580.
1: I do appreciate you. And uh, we have a candidate in the studio. And if you want to go to youtube.com, KBLA 1580, you can certainly see and hear the interview. He's a son of refugees, a lieutenant colonel in the Army, um, judge advocate, General Corps JAG, a deputy district attorney, and a candidate for LA County Superior Court. Seat number one thirty five, Stephen Mack. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming in. We like to see folks in person. Um, you, you know, have done a lot of things. You even—it's it, a really uh, interesting story. You were deployed uh, in the army to the war in Afghanistan, um, and and continued wor- working there in a legal capacity.
0: Yes, I was uh, deployed to Afghanistan in two thousand twelve. Um, I was a, a JAG officer and a legal advisor for um, a logistics unit that covered the entire country of Afghanistan. So when um, water, food, um, equipment came into the borders, um, our unit um, managed getting those supplies to our forces, NATO, our, our allies, and people in the country. Um, part of that is the um, congressional appropriations. So Congress's only way to control the military is through the, through the Appropriations Act, which you know about every year we're trying to, uh, as a country, figure out what type of money we're, we're spending for our services. And part of that is uh, what uh, rules govern our military operations. And as a legal advisor for that, um, you know, our military sometimes wants to do things that exceed or are or, or below what Congress wants us to do and my job was to make sure that we followed those appropriations as we uh, conducted our operations in the country.
1: Interesting. You, you know, you're also uh, a deputy district attorney, a prosecutor, which many, many judges uh, that sit on the bench now are. In fact, the majority are. But uh, you've worked as something like a military um, defense attorney as well?
0: Y- yes. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a career prosecutor, so I, I worked in what's called fiscal law, uh, in the military, it was my one of my specialties. But my very first job in the in the military was um, called a uh, trial Defense Service, which is essentially the public defender's office for the the army. Um, during that time, when I uh, graduated from law school and became a jag officer, Um, a lot of soldiers were returning from uh, iraq and afghanistan and uh, some some of the soldiers were accused of misconduct Uh, a lot of times it involved uh, drugs or some some misconduct that's kind of related to ptsd and and um not doing things that the the government the command um, said they were not doing um soldiers get a right to attorney and i was one of those attorneys so um I would defend soldiers in front of boards of officers and explain why. Uh, well, if they're if they didn't do it, then they're innocent and they shouldn't uh, face any punishment. But if um, there were some defense that should they have, um, should be, the government should be more lenient on the soldier and uh, recognize that their service to our country is is important. Um, that's what I advocated for. So I did that for uh, three years, and it's one of the most. Uh, um, important parts of my career. That's that's where I learned to be a lawyer. Um, the model for TDS was uh, defending those that defend us, defend our country. So, um, you know, it's, it was very important for me. And that's where I met many of the judges that encouraged me to uh, become a judge. So that's where I served with uh, Judge Joe Lofton. He was a defense attorney in the unit. And uh, he was a, a public defender uh, at, in training. And uh, that's where we became friends. And, um, and when I was thinking about becoming a judge, he was one of the first people I spoke to about the process and uh, whether it was a good decision and and come, and come he was one of my first supporters.
1: Hmm. So, I mean, you've got a lot of kind of, you know, intense personal experiences in your life coming here as a son of refugees, as so-called boat people mm-hmm. um, serving in the US military in uh, various jobs, and, and also serving as a prosecutor. But talk to me how how do you think that your experience um, as a son of refugees would ex, would inform your work on the bench?
0: Yeah, um, you know I have a, a deep respect for for our community. Um, you know, as as refugees, you're you're really you're, you're countryless. You're you're looking for a community. To um, welcome you, because you know where, where your where your home was, where you thought was home, um, was not peaceful or was was attacking you. Um, this part of LA was where I grew up. My my dad's first job was two or three blocks from here on Crenshaw by the the bowling alley that was there. Um, we lived off of uh, Western and Martin Luther King. He walked to work. Um, I remember going to the bowling alley and hearing the bowling pins as a kid, uh, waiting for him. I mean, this this community is a, the one that welcomed us. And it was important for me to to um, serve this community because, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why we were able to build a le- new life. Um, that motivated me to join the military. The the person that sponsored my parents to, to the states were served in the military, and that was one of the core reasons why I signed up to, um, to, to serve in the Army when I uh, attended college. Um, you know, UCLA. Uh, I, I went to Berkeley for for undergrad, so I, I, I went there on an Army scholarship and then became an intelligence officer afterwards, and then um, uh, there's there's a windy road, uh, as our, as <laughs> our lives are, <laughs> and then eventually went to UCLA back home for law school. Um, but that commitment to service is something that is, is very important to me. And, and I hope I've displayed that in my time as a, as, a, as a lawyer, as a defense attorney, as a prosecutor, as a advisor, and just as a person. Um, you know, I hope that shows through.
1: And what do you think, describe yourself, you know, should you become a judge? What's your judicial temperament? What's your philosophy, if you, if you would? I know judges are nonpartisan, so give us a, a flavor of what you would be like.
0: Yeah, I mean, I hope my personality is showing today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a very, I'm, I, I, I'm a very patient person. Um, sometimes uh, uh, my criticisms of me is that I don't give a a... a a reaction in time, and that's often because I'm I'm listening and I'm processing what's going on, so that I could give uh, the I could first understand what's going on, and then give the appropriate reaction um, to you know legal arguments and and facts, because a lot of things we deal with are very contentious, and 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 especially in the military and, and, and stressful situ- situations, you're in rooms where everyone's Intentions are are good in terms of um, doing what's best for our unit, the safety of our soldiers, uh, the mission, what we think is good for the the country that we're serving. Um, but oftentimes those ideas don't, don't always match up, and it's very important to to hear where people are coming from, understand the arguments before we um, come to a conclusion about it.
1: Um, what do you think of, or what what do you think you would like to? change or what do you think you could um, improve? I guess, what are your ideas, really? Because, you know, LA County is in flux and our justice system is very much in flux.
0: Yes, I, I think, um, you know, in any institution, there should be improvements. That's, you know, that's what we do as people. We have very seldom in any of our or the things that I've been part of where I see something, I'm like, well, nothing needs to change and everything is great and everything is perfect. That's not the case. Um, when I've taken command of units, the first thing I do is, is look around and see what uh, what improvements need to be made and then uh, think of ways to improve, improve it. Um, as a judge, you know, you don't have the power to make policy or make law, but you do have power to run your courtroom and... Um, there are certain things in our, in our courtroom, both in civil court, uh, criminal court, family court, that needs more resources. We need to be able to have um, expand access to our community to help resolve disputes, because that's the main thing for the judicial system, is that when there are disputes in the community, in society, that cannot be solved in any other way it comes into the court system, and access to that service is very important. Um, our our facilities uh, need improvement, um, and our because you know our our community is growing. Our types of disputes are more complex. Um, the ways we address and and think about people is changing and improving. Uh, we need to have facilities and people to be able to to expand those services and think of tools that can be used to help resolve disputes.
1: Um, how do you feel about what's happening, you know, in terms of this movement towards a restorative justice? It feels like we're in a moment where um, we can we can go, we're at a crossroads. We could go two separate ways. We could go kind of um, back to our more classic, um, you know, I don't know if I want to call it classic. The what we've done, what we've been doing in this country, or we can kind of move toward a more restorative justice um, model.
0: Yeah, um, you know, when I when I worked in in trial in defense services, one of the important goals that we have was what's called what, what we called it recovery. It's 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 the same thing as it's kind of re- rehabilitation. Um, I think in our in the military and in our society. Um, we can't have a system where there's there's no uh, room to make a mistake or make a poor judgment. There was a time in the military where we called it a zero defect, and that means that you can't do anything wrong ever. And that's you can't build a society on that because that's not how people are. Um, it really restricts us, a unit, and how we function when when there's no mercy and leniency. Um, part of leadership and part of growing a society and part of um, expanding our abilities to, to welcome people into our community, have people build lives, change themselves and improve um, their families, and improve the people around them is to have mercy and leniency. And I, I think that's an important part of justice.
1: Looking at your endorsements on your website, which is F-O-R, Stephen F O R Stephen Mac S-T-E-V-E-N M-A-C, No K on it. Stephen And there are there are quite a wide variety here. I mean, you do have the LA Times, you've got uh the LA Federation of Labor, and then you have um ALADS, which is the deputy sheriffs uh, of Los Angeles. Um and you, ha- and then you have Democrats for the Protection of Animals, which I didn't even know was a thing, um, and the Association of Deputy District Attorneys, LGBTQ plus Prosecutors Association, Metropolitan News. Talk to me about that range that you got going there.
0: Yeah, I've been endorsed by uh, many groups that are, represent our community, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, I've I present myself to the. To the groups with, with who I am, who I'm presenting to you today, which is someone that is grew up in the community, know the issues, um, have a fair mind, understand um, what it takes to um, make a stronger Los Angeles. I see Los Angeles as uh, you know a, a gem of the world after um, having. Seen some of the issues around the world. Um, I'm not saying that we don't have problems. We do have problems, and um, the way that we solve and address our problems should be how the world tries to solve and address our problems. Um, you know that that is something why I I view you know my opportunity to come here as important. or my life growing up in this community is important, um, and I think the endorsements um, show that. Um, and and the one that's not that hasn't been listed there was on a Super Super Bowl Sunday. I um, I didn't watch the beginning of the game because I was um, interviewing with uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and I I talked to her about um, myself and my service. And it was very insightful because she was talking about some of the um, work that she was doing for veterans and. There were actually some issues, I mean, I think about that issue, issue a lot, and there's some issues that she brought up. I was like, wow, <laughs> I should have thought about that, that that was a, the issue that needs to be be, be resolved. Um, but um, I, I learned this week that she extended her endorsement to me, and I'm, I'm very proud of that.
1: All right, well, Stephen Mack, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, tell us once again how to reach out if people want to find out more.
0: Yes, the best way would be my website, Stephen Mack for uh I'm uh, office number 135 on your ballot. I've uh, hope that uh, my commitment to service is uh, something that um, you see as appropriate for the bench. And I, I hope I earn some votes today.
1: All right, Stephen Mack, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a perfect time to call me eight hundred 1580 You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.
0: Quiet Part Out, Out Loud, KBLA Talk 1580. City. Of- the conversation continues right now, right now. Right now. Right now. with Dominique Prima on First Things First, First.
1: First. Right now, right now, um, we have more uh, candidates for L.A. County um, Municipal Court Judge coming up this show. And we're going to be staggering them with conversation. So you are welcome to call in any especially right now, 800-920-1580. 800-920-1580. Um you know proposition one is uh, it's one more and I feel this is one of the only reasons that I haven't actually already voted and turned my ballot in. I have my ballot. Um, and I have most of the things, I know what I'm voting on almost everything, but proposition one, I keep changing my mind. I was a solid yes. And then I keep hearing these arguments against it. They're coming from progressives. Um, this is, this is governor Newsom's, um, proposition that's meant to change the way, um, mental health is administered in the state in terms of, um, funding, and in terms of what that funding is used for. Um, it's it's a follow-up to something that we, the voters, did back in 2004, seems like 100 years ago, um, which w- was called the Mental Health Services Act. It was a ballot proposition, and it created a 1% income tax on millionaires to fund the public mental health system. And uh, Governor Gavin Newsom is saying it's time to upgrade and modernize this system. And it seems like Proposition 1 is meant to do that, but it is, it's feeling more and more like a mixed bag. On the one hand, you know, with our crisis, our unhoused persons crisis, with um, the emergency of people with severe mental health, not receiving any kind of services, it does seem like we need to do something But um, some of the agencies, some of the nonprofits that work around mental health are warning that this this solution creates a lot of unintended consequences. And after what we've seen in this state with unintended consequences, I'm thinking particularly around like contract workers and some of these bills that you know, um, bills that are put forth by lawmakers, but most especially propositions that we, the voters agree to, and then we get confused and vote on them and end up doing just the opposite of what we were trying to do. Um, I feel like I'm going to have to do a deeper dive on this proposition and I better hurry up because in-person voting starts on Saturday. So, um, like I said, I, you know, I, statewide uh prop 1 i i was yes and now i'm leaning towards the maybe to no side um because whenever we do things that um create strict percentages of how money is going to be allocated it gives less flexibility to lawmakers and sometimes it puts us in positions where we can't fund the things that we need in emergencies. i continue the conversation and you're welcome in. It's KBLA talk 1580.
0: She's reclaiming her time on KBLA talk 1580. More first things first with Dominique DiPrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now now, 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 with Dominique DePrima on First Things First. First.
1: first. All right, so I was talking about Proposition 1. It's a huge, huge uh, and important statewide ballot initiative, which means it's going to be on your ballot if you're in California at all. And one of the things that it, what I was saying is that it gives less flexibility in an effort to force us to focus more on housing and unhoused persons. Um, It would require counties to spend 60% of the money that they get from this millionaire's tax that I was talking about before on housing and programs for unhoused people who have serious mental health or substance abuse problems. It's, you know, and of course, um, uh, London Breed of San Francisco um, is supporting it. I believe Karen Bass of Los Angeles supporting it. But it, it gives you less flexibility. So let's say, for example, we... You know, reel in our unhoused persons and mental health problem. Now you ha- you're still committed to spending that sixty percent, and you can't use it for other things. Um, and one of the things I was reading is that in smaller counties, this can be a big problem for them. Um, the example they give in the Associated Press is, uh, like Butte County, which only has thirteen hundred unhoused people in the whole county. Right? It's an it's a little um, out in the country, right? Well, for them to spend 60% of their funding, mental health funding on unhoused, um, and acutely mentally ill persons doesn't make sense. Um, they, I guess they have different problems. They have a high suicide rate. They have child, high child trauma rate. So they want to spend more of their money on that. And it would mean, Uh, Shutting down programs like the uh, African American Family and Cultural Center and things like that, that are funded through these dollars because they help with community mental health. So, and you know, it's funny because I was, I'm trying to remember one of the candidates that I was interviewing, um, it'll come to me, that was against this. And I, it, you know, that conversation is what made me start, um, you know, looking at this again, because we do need solutions, but solutions that bring unintended problems. Um, you know, maybe we need to go back and try it again. Maybe we need to tweak this. Um, we already we have the care courts, and I think this is a companion for that. But is it the right companion? News, traffic, and sports. Then more uh, on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty.